Penn State football gets a win? How should you feel about that? That's what we're going to be discussing today on the BWI Live Show. I'm your host, Thomas Frank Carr. It's Monday, and we're recapping Penn State's 31-14 win over Maryland. Even when I say it out loud, it feels like it's the wrong score because of the number of times Maryland got into the red zone once again, that'll be a theme we talk about today. I'm your host, Thomas Frank Carr. As I said, joined by Nate Bauer, senior editor at Blue White Illustrated, and Dave Eckert, one of our fine writers. Gentlemen, good afternoon. How are you doing, Dave? Um, I'm doing good, T. Frank. I'm uh, The sleep schedule is still recovering from getting in at 3 in the morning on, on Sunday. But outside of that, I have no complaints. Nate, how's your sleep schedule? Uh, I know it's critical to your performance. Oh, oh my goodness, I'm lost without it. Uh, no, I just want to pat myself and Dave on the back for driving to and from College Park, Maryland. Uh, it's crazy. We did it. Yeah. We made it in one day. I mean, that's pretty good. So I'm sticking with it. Uh, hello to everybody in the chat, to you as well. We're getting to your questions in just a little bit. we got a bunch coming in already. Uh, there's, a, there's a bunch of things to cover in this game. Some reoccurring themes, but I think some new ones that are interesting as well. Um, how should Penn State fans feel about that win? Because, as always, mixed emotions so far. Dave, what do you think your major takeaway is from that game versus Maryland? Well, I guess I'm just like past the point in the season where I feel the need to derive like meaning from wins, you know, because I, I, I'm not I'm no longer trying to figure out what Penn State is. Right. I feel like I have a pretty good vibe based on what we've seen of what Penn State is. So wins are wins. Wins are good. Um I'm not trying to, to make it anything more than that, to be honest with you. But but yeah, you know, Jahan Dotson, awesome. The defense, pretty good again, especially in the red zone. Those are those are the uh, the takeaways for me. Yeah, you're you're right. At this point, it they are who they are. There's no there's three games left. There's not a lot of like, well, maybe they can improve in this area. Even though some of my questions today are going to be a little bit about that. Nate, how do you feel? You said that, that at this point you think, especially the offensive identity, is set in stone. So is that how you feel coming out of this game? What what are you feeling today, after as you think about Penn State's win over Maryland? No, I I mean certainly I think that this. And this is a, a, maybe a separate conversation, but but the blunt answer is, I think the Penn State fans should feel good. I think that Penn State should feel good. I, I think um, years ago, uh, this is a short aside. Years ago, uh, Penn State played Maryland at uh, the Baltimore Ravens Stadium, right in Baltimore, and the coaching staff, the assistant coaching staff, was like right on the other side of a glass panel. Uh, and so during the game, you could hear every reaction that they had, right? And that's that's a rare insight for us. We don't typically have that, um, that element. And the striking element to that was that they went berserk over every play, right? It was, oh no, or oh my goodness, hooray, right? Like it was right. these wild swings in emotion. And to me, that brought home 
just how much is poured into this because the perception mm -hmm. of it from the outside is, oh, well, Penn State should go to Maryland and beat Maryland, right? Like that's just, that's right. the expectation. That is what fans expect. That is what the media expects. That is, that is just what it is. And for the people who are in it and the people that are living it, it is an entirely different experience. They are on this wild roller coaster, and and I can tell you very very securely that nobody at Penn State takes a win like that at Maryland, thirty one to fourteen for granted. They yeah. appreciate that very 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 much. Um, and so yeah, no, that's that's my takeaway is they will absolutely relish in a win. Uh, we'll be taking your questions throughout the show, as you see here. Stephen Light is giving us his opinion on the win as of yesterday. It's a W, and they're bowl eligible, so uh, some mid-level to low-level bowl, huh? I, You know, there is not a lot of hope surrounding this team, and that's the thing that's really interesting to me, is that, I, you know, I, I've seen genuine areas of development on this on this football team, especially from their quarterback, given where he started and the perception of him coming into the season and what he's become. Uh, and, and that being the driving force of this team so far, I, what's, what is sucking the joy out of football for Penn State football fans? Is the Illinois loss still causing this much pain for people, Dave? That it's just like, yeah, they beat Maryland. Great. It wasn't what I wanted. It's like getting the wrong present at Christmas, almost. <laughs> yeah, I think the college football playoff has an impact here. That's and James Franklin has alluded to that a couple of times is all of a sudden, you know, you, you can reason, not reasonably, but you can hope to be one of these four teams, um, even if you lose a game, uh, that, that makes the college football playoff every year. And Penn State kind of fooled its fans into thinking, hey, we're 5-0, and maybe this is a possibility, and then it all came crashing down. <laughs> so I, I think that's part of it. Um, maybe the speculation regarding James Franklin's future is another part of it. Um, but I also think that Penn State fans have this perception that Maryland is just, like, absolute garbage and that Penn State should go and just, like, obliterate them. 60 to nothing because right. they have occasionally done that. And because other teams did that too. Ohio State right. did that, right? Yeah. And and a little news for you, Penn State is in Ohio State this year. Um, yeah. So uh, I, I think it's a good win. Just appreciate the win, you know? Uh, Dave, uh, I'm sorry, Nate, when we talk about the offense and the offensive identity, one of the things is that they're good at moving the ball, but they can't score points. Yep. That sort of held serve. Um, but I want to flip it a little bit and something that, that I was going to bring up a little bit later, but I want to talk about now. Penn State is, and I believe I have this right, 22 of 36 in uh, third down conversions over the last two games. They have gone dramatically in the other way when it comes to the ability to stay on the field and convert things. Yep. Again, one of those things that I'm I'm pointing to when I watch the film and you watch the individual plays and the, the good seems to outweigh the bad. Is that a fair thing to bring up? And what has caused that? What have you seen that you think is is the reason for the the switch there? Yeah, no, I, I look. I, I don't think that they're bad. <laughs> like they're just they're just. This isn't a team that. Okay, so first and foremost, they scored twenty four points offensively again on Saturday. 
against a Maryland defense that showed and demonstrated in the second half its vulnerabilities, particularly in the fourth quarter, obviously. Uh, Penn State is just inconsistent offensively. Like Theo Johnson was talking about it after the game, that there's always just one thing, right? And, And like, this is hard. It is it is hard to conduct an orchestra uh, as it gets together and and yep. tries to find itself on the same page. And I think the thing that stands out to me about that is it's hard for everyone to conduct the orchestra. Okay, e- every team has this issue. the The thing that other teams sometimes have that Penn State, I think, is lacking is the soloist <laughs> to keep going with this yep. stupid equation. No, but I like Penn it. State, You're right. right. Like Penn State doesn't have the soloist to make up for it, to hide it. That, that Right? Like the, the, the wrong note here, the wrong note there can be overcome by the fact that you just have a star violinist. That you just have a, a an absolute stud. And I think that Penn State does have that in Jahan Dotson, okay? But the best offenses have it certainly at the quarterback position, but also at running back, also at tight end, also at receiver. And Penn State's avenues to that are just limited. When you only have one guy who can do that, it changes the equation. And so I think what I saw in that first half of for Penn state offensively was just the the same stuff that's been happening all season, right? Like they're capable of moving the ball, but they're also capable of finding themselves in third and long and throwing an incompletion because the quarterback, uh, just, he's not, he's not accurate all the time. Yeah. (laughs) Like it it just, it comes and goes. And so like, yeah, I, I mean, I, I think that the story of the season has generally held true again that this is a second half football team that that improves in the second half and is just not good enough or doesn't have enough spectacular pieces to overcome that when everything's not clicking. Uh, David and Ryan bringing in their thoughts on what Penn State still has to play for and what is sucking the joy out of the season for Penn State fans. And Dave, you you alluded to that of what what Penn State fans felt going into 5-0 and and the letdown they've had since. Um, Sean Clifford, you mentioned, sometimes inaccurate, sometimes he's good, sometimes he's not. Dave, what was your impression of the starting quarterback for Penn State on Saturday? Yeah, exactly that, right? Um, I, wasn't, I, I thought he missed some throws, especially in the first half. Um, but, you know, he made some too. You have to give him credit for those. Um, but again... I think the mission was pretty simple. It's get the ball to Jahan Dotson in ways that aren't super complicated and let Jahan Dotson do Jahan Dotson things. So how much credit does Sean Clifford really deserve for that? I don't know. Uh, He he did what he had to do, right? Um, I think Jahan Dotson ended the game with over 100 yards after the catch. Uh, which is a lot, and and yeah. you know that's that's work that Sean Clifford also isn't necessarily doing. So I thought he was fine. He was all right. He doesn't have to be a superhero in every game. It's okay. Uh, he he was he was good enough to win. And and this game in particular, he had more help from the rest of the offense than he has 
really at any point in the last month where Penn State, I know what the official box score says, but let's all agree that there are some stupid things about college box scores, like the fact that you gained 100 yards rushing, but on passing plays, sack yardage is subtracted from that. So I don't know what what passing plays have anything to do with standard run plays, but Penn State gained over 100 yards rushing on Saturday. Is it time to say that Kevon Lee has turned the corner, Nate? Um, I feel like you just loaded up a gun, like, ready to go. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I That's... That's I don't know. I really don't. I mean, I look like he he had some his last four carries were for six or more yards. All four of his final four carries in the game went for six or more yards. The first four he had eight for the game. The first four went for like one, three, six, one, something like that. Um, if if the opportunity extended itself for him to where he was getting more consistent carries may, maybe that changes right maybe maybe the the 66 11 15 is in the middle of his day not the end of his day but i think that Noah Kane has demonstrated right i mean i thought they both ran hard on saturday i just they're just i, I, I the question has never been whether or not they ran hard the question has been whether they ran effective and they've both yeah, had mean, major flaws in that particular part of their game doesn't doesn't the argument remain the same though that the 11 and the 15 could have been 35 and 45 sure if, right? but they they i well they wouldn't have been with noah kane and i guess that's the thing is are you noah kane can't break tackles and and Dave this is something we've talked about all year is is there he's bringing a certain attribute to the field with his vision and his intelligence and and with his ability to play the the complete position but do you think that Kevon Lee has turned that corner where he's doing some of those things as well that merit taking over some of those snaps um I don't know I not really not really okay <laughs> I guess I I think I think Maryland's run defense is bad. So that's uh, right. That's uh, that's that's part of it. Maryland's run defense stinks. Their running attack also stinks. Fun fact: they just don't like to run. Um, but yeah, I just I don't know. I, I'm not deriving a ton from I guess a four carry stretch at the end of the game. Uh, maybe maybe it's a good sign moving forward, and and maybe it means he's the first guy uh, first guy into the game against Michigan here. But certainly, I don't know. I'm, I'm not making any big picture conclusions. So there's no, there's no real takeaway from, see, that's, that's, that's probably the more mature, reasonable thing to do here, but there's no takeaway from positive aspect of the fact that he averaged 6.3 yards a carry in this game. And Nate, I didn't mean to cut you off on what you were saying. I want you to finish your point about Noah Kane and Kevon Lee, but there's not really doesn't seem to be any positive momentum from this performance on the ground, which there were some genuinely good things. Am, am, am I missing something? Well, I mean, I think the question has to be asked to you. Like, what what do you think? Is it has he separated himself? I, I don't know. Like, I, I, it's not to me. It doesn't feel as though it is from the holistic point of view a slam dunk. Are there arguments to be made? Sure. 
I, like, I don't think that anybody would debate that, but I, I think the problem that exists, look, I, I put myself into, uh, or I try to put myself into James Franklin's brain based on what he has said for eight years about how decisions are made. And the bottom line proposition for him, for Penn State as a program and his coaching staff is about consistency. That's it, is if you can do the same thing and repeat it over and over and over again, then you're going to ascend into a starting role or a feature role. Kevon Lee and Noah Kane and John Lovett and Devin Ford haven't done that. They haven't done yeah. it all season. They have they have not been able so, to so establish here, here's that the, Here's the problem is that it's the sample size, too. With this particular offensive line, you're going to have negative plays. There's no way around that. They don't consistently block their man at the point the way that they're supposed to for a myriad of reasons. Same thing with the tight ends. What you can eliminate if you're the running back is making poor decisions in those moments. And that's from the from the down-to-down perspective. Kevon Lee has done more of that over the second half of the season, and he's the only guy capable of breaking tackles. Plain and simple. He's the only guy capable of breaking a tackle, and he did that. His vision improved. There were some good cutbacks in, in, in some counter situations where the, the original hole was blocked up and he just lowered his head finally and ran through players. Those things are starting to happen more consistently, some more decisiveness. And I guess that's what I'm seeing on film is I'm seeing some of those things that Noah Kane does, the reason he's the starter, are translating over to Kevon Lee. And if you're going to get anything from this running game, and you, you brought it up, Nate, is that you need to have a soloist. If you can't have a soloist, have a guy at least that can have a two or three line uh, solo. Maybe not a seven minute guitar solo where he's shredding on top of the drum set, but just two or three lines where he gets a good play. There's, it's the only hope for this running game, in my opinion, is that Kevon Lee continues to do that, and you have to give, you do have to give him some more volume to make that happen. And I guess that's really where I come down on the situation is. It's the only way forward for this to improve is is for that. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I, I don't know where to go from that really, but like that's just what I see on film. Yeah, I mean, I think that there's there is probably an argument to be made that they have stunted by not going with one. They've stunted Ooh. all three, right, or all four, right. Uh, but but the, you know if uh, and so but I but. I don't think it's for lack of want. <laughs> I think they've been begging for it. They're, they are dying to, and they keep saying it. Yeah. Waiting, waiting for someone to separate, waiting for someone to grab the job and go with it. Yeah. And it like, they just, they haven't for, for one reason or another, they have not done that this season. And so you're kind of just, you're just left in this purgatory of, uh, it's not, they're not horrible, but they're just, they're not good. And nobody's getting any better. We got to, oh, sorry, go ahead, Dave. Yeah. Just, just to jump in like, cause I feel like we should say this is James Franklin said post game that he doesn't feel like there's been like a separation there. So he was asked, he said, it's going to continue to be the three un un until something happens. <laughs> so See, yes, <laughs> I, I'm not even the guy. So, so I'm not even the guy that is going to preach for a one tailback system. I, in no way am I saying that, that Kevon Lee needs to be the only guy. 
Uh, I just from his work as a pass catcher, where there was one where he didn't get his head around in time, but he did make a guy miss in space and he did lower his head and like there are positive signs forward. I guess it's just amazing the the lack of trust he's built up over the first half of the season to get to this position. We are uh, getting a little bit behind on some of the questions we got in the chat. Thank you. Holy cow. Everyone's super excited about Penn State football today. One of the ah. things that happened post-game, one of the things that happened post-game, just so you guys know, if you didn't catch out the BWI uh, live post-game show, was that I spent a good 20 minutes talking about 2022 quarterbacks because people are already on to the next batch of players that are going to probably disappoint them. No offense to anyone involved, but like that's just the reality. Uh, fans have given up on Christian Veyu and Taequann Roberson. I feel like they both have potential with more development. Uh, is there hope? just solely based on Drew Lahr. I want to bring this up because I just want to get your your thoughts on the backup quarterback situation briefly so we can talk about it because I do want to make sure we answer everybody's question. Dave, when it comes to Roberson and Veyu, have you completely written off that situation or do you believe like him there's more to see at that particular position? Yeah, I guess just in the case, case of Veyu, like, He's a true freshman. Like, right. there's absolutely no reason to just throw him to the side and say that nothing's ever going to come from him. Like, that's that's silly. Uh, expecting him to do anything this year, also silly. Uh, but, you know, right. yeah, I, I, that's that's crazy to me. That was that's, a comment. That was a comment, by the way. And, and just so you know, uh, I do read some of the comments on our YouTube videos. Somebody said about the win against Maryland, it was a fine win but I'd like to see more backup quarterback snaps for meaningful snaps. And I, okay, <laughs> sure. Nate, like, what are we doing? What, what is this that we're doing here particularly? That it has to be the 66 to nothing win, and then you get those guys in so that you can see Christian Veyu hand off the ball. Like, I... <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're just, they're just not good enough for that as yeah. a program right now. And so I don't, Look, like there have not been, and this is this is maybe the overlooked, not talked about enough element of this season for Penn State football. But they like there haven't been any comfortable wins. <laughs> Ball, <laughs> Ball State and Villanova, I guess count, but yeah. not none of the like, and it's and it's not as though they're being blown out, right? So you don't right. even get you don't even get the other side of that equation, which is when things are going so poorly for you that you get some legitimate run for your backups in that situation. Uh, they're, they're competitive in every game, but they're not so good that they're going to have a, a huge lead and be able to blow anybody out. I, I look like I, I get it. Quarterback is a, a huge deal moving forward. They are playing for this season right now. They, they still have things to play for. They are very much maintaining that trajectory of playing for this year. While still, you know, I think that you do, you have started to see some other positions where players are, uh, Malik Mega has started to get a, a, a couple more snaps. Um, the safety, whose name is escaping me, is starting to Jaylen see a Reed. few more snaps. Yeah, Jalen Reed's yeah. starting to see a few more snaps, right? So there's- He looked there, good too. Uh, Zariah Fisher saw snaps, obviously, uh, Jesse Luketa's absence the other day. So, no, I mean, I, I 
it's just it's just a unique position in the game that that opportunity doesn't often present itself and it especially has not presented itself for Penn State this season which is why James Franklin without saying it so bluntly has been undercutting this notion of how ridiculous Penn State's schedule was this season right <laughs> like they 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 got you know jobbed out of a, a preseason which is what a non-conference typically is that right like you had to start at wisconsin ball state was not a slouch pushover and then you get auburn at home so so those three games the way that the season started really eliminated the possibility of them developing the players who desperately need development and so like th those things will all play a role and all uh you know play themselves out going into next season because you've you've missed that opportunity to get some critical reps for these guys uh got a couple of uh comments up here steven again wants to know uh, he just doesn't want to lose to michigan and i understand I, you you can understand that uh that feeling from pense fan of like you feel like there are certain teams that aren't as good as your organization. I think for, from this perspective, I would say the plan that Jim Harbaugh has, and I know that he's going after his on-field on sideline uh, demeanor, but there is, I think, a fair thing to say that Michigan's offense, while Penn State's hasn't been great this year, Penn State has the better plan and path to victory when it comes to the, their offense's ability to generate points on a regular basis, to play with a competent quarterback. So all of those things, I think, do play in as well, uh, as Steven says, to want lose to Harbaugh. I want to bring this up about the offensive line, because um, it seems as if where there isn't a solution and there isn't some sort of resolution to what's going on, we tend to find the, a different thing to blame each week. So consistently so far this season, it has been that the Penn State offensive line isn't any good. They're not any good. These players aren't any good. But now it's more and more getting to the point that fans are sending their ire towards the offensive line coach, Phil Troutwine. A question that came up this week that I wanted to get your perspective on, uh, Dave, is how long should a positional coach be given in order to turn things around at a said position? Because we give, typically, coaches are supposed to have three to five years to bring players in the program and turn around on a whole wholesale level. What's a reasonable timeline for what Phil Trotwine is expected to do with the linemen that he has to, to work with? Yeah, I think it's 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 kind of a similar situation, just on a smaller scale, right? I mean, Phil Trotwine is going to play a huge part in which uh, linemen come to Penn State, and and he's going to play a huge role in in, in getting those commitments. Um, but I think the other part that we have to remember about this, and it sounds like an, it's an excuse, but it's just a fact, is last season there was extremely lim limited opportunity for development because of the COVID stuff. It's just it's just true. So, I mean, I know everyone's tired of hearing about it. I'm tired of talking about it. It's just true. So, it's a thing you have to remind yourself every once in a while, right? Yeah. Um, and the other thing is, I do think that Penn State's offensive line last season got better as the season went along. I, I don't really think that's happening this year. Um, I think Penn State has some individual problems on its offensive line that we've talked about over and over again. Um, so I guess that's just a long way of saying be patient with with Troutwine. Um, he's, he came in with a really good reputation. He's a guy that 
is really well respected in the industry. I, I don't, I don't think that one season is a sample size that's acceptable, especially considering it's two seasons, but last year was the COVID year, I guess. So give them some time, deep breaths, relax. It's going to be okay. I promise. Uh, Will it Dave? I wanted to, <laughs> by the way, I wanted to throw Ryan's comment up there. Cause I feel like uh, Nate, what you said kind of echoed to what uh, Ryan was asking in the chat of, were our expectations too high to begin with um, for this season? He, he gets into some players we'll get to in a little bit when we talk about the, the tight end position. But I think that is fair to say that um, they played well and found ways to win early in the season, but it has been very much a high-wire act so far, especially on the offensive side of the ball for Penn State football. So maybe they did lead to some false expectations to begin the year given what we know about the quarterback situation, which we've talked about ad nauseum. Any other thoughts on the offensive line from Saturday as far as how they performed? Uh, Nate, do you have any thoughts about that? I, I just, I, I, I got to address the question first. Okay. Th this is revisionist history. The line was set at eight and a half wins for this team. That, right? They, they've lost three. They might lose one more. They might lose two more. I, I don't know. I, I think that the fact that the starting quarterback died at Iowa had a big role in that, right? Like, I'm sorry. It just, this team has played to the actual expectations because okay. yes, expectations changed once they got to five and oh, I get it. I, I understand you get wrapped up, you get, you're hyped, but there were flaws in this team that were vivid <laughs> and understandable throughout that five and O stretch, right? Like they, yep. they could have lost that Wisconsin game. That Wisconsin game was not a walk. It took a couple of plays in the second half for them to be able to win that game. Uh, Auburn, they could have lost. Right. Uh, and yep. so all the way down yeah, to the very I mean, end. Just, right. Like I just, I just think that, that this notion of, Oh, well, because they were five and O meant that all of a sudden, they they should have gone ten and two or eleven and one is just it's it's just not accurate. Uh, so that's the first thing. And then no, for the offensive line moving forward, my big question is what's what's the fix? Because I like other than developing personnel, which I I think they felt better about having had the opportunity to do that over yep. this off season, obviously. Right. Yeah. The, the, the storyline, the buzz was all right. Phil Troutwine needed to do a, a snap to the whistle rebuild of technique. Yep. They, they were doing different things as an offensive line. And during the COVID year, he could not do that. Uh, however, They've been practicing relatively normally since mm -hmm. February. And mm -hmm. so the, the notion, and I think it's a reasonable notion, is not that those guys uh, were necessarily so bad last year, but that the guys would be able to develop between, yes, what they did last year, but also specifically from February to now. And I think that there is certainly an argument to be made that like is, is juice Scruggs demonstrably better is Rashid Walker demonstrably better Worse. is right. Worse. Yeah. Uh, 
Is Caden Wallace demonstrably better? And, and you know, like, yes, I, I think the, the Salim Wormley thing comes in here. I think there's there are definitely some offsetting issues to talk about. However, on an individual level, you, you just you have to ask yourself, okay, it's not as easy at, because the, the name that immediately popped into my mind was Anthony Poindexter, right? Right. Poindexter comes in and has at least one All-American safety and maybe a second on the right. way, <laughs> right? Uh, those guys were already there. I think he helped them. I think he he made them better, has made them better. We saw but Jaquan he, Brisker play really good football last year. It's not a surprise that he took a step forward this year. But you still you still have to mold the clay that you have. Right. And uh, certainly, I, I, you know, I'm not piling on by any stretch of the imagination. I think that they have been less than ideal circumstances, but... There should still be some signs of progress that for keen eyed guys like you, I'm not sure that are, are being seen. No. And, and for, before we get into that, first off, if you're enjoying the video, make sure you hit the like button so that people also on YouTube know this is a good show and you're enjoying it so that more people can join and we can keep doing this on Monday. So if you want to hit the like button right now, that'd be super appreciated. We'll be getting to all of your questions in just a little bit. But to Nate's point. I've been thinking about this and, and, and trying to find a good answer for what's going on because it's easy to say these guys just aren't big enough or strong enough. And, and to me, it is coming down to that point, that the three guys in the middle are not physically dominant offensive linemen. But on top of that, and I, I was kind of trying, I've been trying to piece this together from what I asked Phil Troutwine and some of the things he talked about early in the season. When he was first hired... I asked him, like, you know, what what are the important things about technique? Because you can always say technique, and that's kind of like saying culture. Well, what does that mean? And he said, well, what's the strongest body? Uh, what's your strongest body part? It's your legs. You want to play football with your legs. You want to drive people off the ball. There is zero connection between the upper body and the lower body of these Penn State offensive linemen. I have seen <laughs> zero connection between Caden Wallace's arms and his legs. And to me, I think that's a physical thing with him. But with Juice Scruggs, or especially Mike Miranda, I see good body lean. I see good position. I see good lockout. I see all the things you want. The, their hands are inside. We've been to practice. I've been able to see him coach and say, like, you know, you got there. Now drive. Drive him off the ball. And it's that part, that drive him off the ball, that's the problem, where they are not engaging their lower body to actually move these, these defenders off the ball. And I don't know if that's a technique thing or if that's an educational kind of communication gap or if in the end what's happening is they are driving and they're not strong enough. So once you get to that point of your momentum is forward and your balance is forward, then the guy, if you haven't moved him, can just do this with you whichever way he wants and that is the end result. So maybe these guys, when, when people ask me, like, what's wrong? The way he wants to coach, maybe these guys can't play that way. And, and that's my best analysis of the actual, like, positional problems. And it's not going to get better with this particular group. Uh, I do want to move... Better, Go ahead. Uh, just real quick, like, you better find guys who can, if that's the case. Yep. <laughs> right? So yep. if, it's, if it's recruiting, that is a longer timeline than I think you have, which means that you better find it in the transfer portal. Yep. So well, the, the good news is that J.B. Nelson coming in this next class is a Lackawanna kid, so he can play pretty quickly. Like, his physical size and his experience at at least a JUCO level will be one potential remedy, 
And then behind the scenes, whatever the young guys are doing now, Olafashunu, Landon Tangwall, there are players with talent that aren't playing. And yep. you guys know this. James Franklin is not going to play young players along the offensive line unless he absolutely has to. And even then, he'll probably wait. Uh, Dave, you had a really good article about Jahan Dotson after the game. What did he say about how Maryland wanted to play him and his response to that in this game? Because he obviously is the star of the of the show, which we took 36 minutes to get to. <laughs> he was uh, offended by uh, by their man coverage last season, to put it to put it lightly. Um, so he took that personally, and they played a lot of man coverage again, and he torched them. <laughs> you know, they, they, they didn't adjust and, and he ended up with 242 yards, which is a Penn state single game record. Um, so yeah, I think, I think that little added motivation was important. And I think you saw him maybe taking, taking it out on them a little bit. Do you think that he can do it again? Cause this is Tyler's question is, can he do it again against, uh, people that know it, that know what he can do and see him coming? Yeah, that's, I mean, it's a great question because Michigan's defense, we know, is much better than Maryland's defense. Um, so, yeah, I don't, I don't know. We'll see. Um, what do you think, T. Frank? Uh, that's one area where I haven't had a chance yet. I usually, just so everyone knows my schedule, I, I do this live show, my film analysis of the previous game, and the BWI Daily All on Monday. So I'll get to the Michigan film tonight or tomorrow once I, uh, you know, have a, have a second. Uh, so, but in general, they play now zone defense instead of having a man coverage scheme. Nate, you were about to tell me it's not good enough. <laughs> I'm so disappointed that you slept last night. Come on. Oh, you, you don't even know. I gave up. Uh, I was trying to have all of my film study analysis done last night and it was 11 o'clock. I got up at five 30 to start working on everything. Uh, and I, I gave up at 11, and I felt ashamed of myself that I did not have it all done, and I did it this morning. So I, the, 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 the shame is real. Um, outside of Jahan Dotson, Nate, how do you think the Penn State tight ends and the rest of the receivers played against Maryland? Uh, unremarkable. Did, did they? <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to remember. I, uh, Keandre Lambert Smith had a 30 yard reception before Dotson's yep. 38 yard touchdown. Uh, not a ton coming to me outside of that. Did Theo Johnson have a catch? He had a really good. He had a good, really good nod route where he went up against man coverage and and was able to get it between the safety and the linebacker. It was a better throw, but he did make a good play on that. Yeah, I just, I mean, look, like. Uh, I think if you look at the drive charts, um, you know, it was just, it was a very disjointed effort in the, in the first half, right? Like, look at these 10 plays for 47 yards, 12 plays for 44 yards, right? Um, That is not what they want to be. Yeah. It's just not. Um, And so, yeah, you know, uh, 14 for 95, the touchdown in the, to start the second half, that was that was a really excellent drive that Penn State had um, in those circumstances. However, um, the the two for seventy eight touchdown that's the one. That's what they want. <laughs> that's yeah. what that's what they're trying to do. And so um, you know they just they just need more Jahan Dotsons. And I'm you know I, I think that they kind of have what they have right now until yeah. some of these other guys 
keep coming along. Two critical drops, one by Keandre Lambert-Smith, one by Parker Washington. Washington was good on the day, though. I, you know, he only had two catches, but they were two critical third-down conversions. And then, of course, the the drop on a another pretty good ball by by Clifford to put it on the corner route. Um, I believe that set up a a third or fourth down where Clifford then took a sack and that ended a drive essentially. But Ryan asked this question. I think that there's some validity to this of this running back room, this tight end room have been disappointing on the season. Do you think it's fair what he's saying that they're being compared to some of the best players and best athletes of the last 15 years? Dave, do you think that's a fair thing? Yeah. I mean, I think it's a good point. Um, The one thing I did want to add real quick is that, um, with the tight ends, uh, something I noticed with the snap counts is Theo Johnson and Bretton Strage actually had very similar snap counts in this game, which mm-hmm. maybe you see uh, Theo Johnson are eating into some of that time. Um, but anyway, yeah, I, I think uh, that's a valid point, right? Penn State has had some awesome players. Yeah. And the, the bottom line that I think we're kind of dancing around a little bit here is that this team isn't as good. It's just not. Yeah. This team was four and five last year, <laughs> you know, and it's, it's got a lot of the same pieces. So it's, it's, it's not as talented. Um, so it is fair, I think, to grant some of these guys that, that, that little bit of room because they're not Saquon Barkley. Bretton Strange is not Mike Kosicki. He's not Pat, Pat Fryermuth. Um, yeah, uh, I think it's a good point from Ryan, but uh, I, I think, I, I, I don't think we're folding, uh, I, I don't think that the expectations after the 5-0 start were fair. And and, yeah. and I think that that point kind of leads into the same thing. Um, if you look at the total yardage numbers for Penn State, Penn State is, right now, they have the seventh best offense in the Big Ten from a, a total yardage standpoint, and they have the fifth best defense. So, like, that's not a national – it's just, like, you're not winning national championships. You just aren't. You're not yeah. making the college football playoff. You're not, you know, you're not winning the Big Ten. And there's so, no there's no part that's singularly great, maybe outside of the safety so far. Yeah, exactly. And, and they're leaning heavily on their red zone defense. Really, yeah. I think that is the big thing. Is the red zone defense is awesome, and I had some doubts about whether that would stick at the beginning of the season because that's one of those things that you think is kind of random, maybe yeah. not. Uh, it has more to do with has, the quarterback that you play. I always thought uh, uh, rather than what you do. Then they did it against Ohio State. Uh, is it yeah. to that point, Dave? Is it a real thing for them now? Like, it, have we seen enough of it that it's actually a real thing for the Penn State defense? I think so. Yeah. Okay. I, I do. Me it, too. it just it keeps happening, and and they are getting some luck. I think uh, uh, Talia just like dropping snap uh, in the in the uh, the red zone on Saturday. Obviously, that's not something that Penn State influenced. Um, but I do think that. Yeah, their 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 red zone defense is awesome, and it just is. It's not random. It's not luck. It's not fluky. So yeah, I think it's real. We'll be doing our best to get to some of your Michigan questions. Usually, what this show is, we're, we're wrapping up things with the last game before we move on. We will answer all your questions about some of the previews with Michigan coming up. But I would do want to spend some time talking about the defense. And thank you for that wonderful transition, Dave. Phenomenal job. Before that, though, Penn State. You now have a new home for your coverage of Penn State football and Penn State basketball and everything else that Blue White Illustrated does. From the founder of Rivals and 247 Sports comes on three. Our new home is 
on three. So if you want to check out in the link in below in the description, you can get a uh, 12-month subscription to the new site for Blue White Illustrated for just one dollar. What is the what is the official URL? Because it's not, it's not something that just rolls off my tongue, Nate. What is it? BlueWhiteIllustrated.com. Blue White, thank you. <laughs> BlueWhiteIllustrated.com. I knew that there was a workaround. I did not have it down in front of me. Uh, you can check out BlueWhiteIllustrated.com, or you can check out the link below for your annual subscription Subscription right now, 12 months for just $1. The defensive side of the ball uh, with the secondary, Dave, uh, is this just how good are these safeties? Mentioned them a couple times today. Just how good do you think they are? I think they're really good. Um, I think obviously uh, Jair Brown is a Big Ten Defensive Player of the Week this week. He had the pick six and he recovered that fumble that I alluded to there in the red zone. Um, he also led the team in tackles for the last two weeks. He's been their highest-rated player on defense by Pro, Fo- Pro Football Focus. Um, so yeah, I think he's been awesome. I think I think he's going a little bit under the radar with how good he's been. Just and and granted. He's kind of made this jump while Penn State's been losing, so I guess your your um, your, your your ability to dish out individual praise while that's happening maybe isn't as as big as it is the rest of the time. But I think he's been great. Um, we know Jaquan Brisker is awesome, so yeah, I like you you said before that's their best unit to me, and it's not close. Nate, red zone defense, bend but don't break, right? Am I right? I know it's not a question, You're but. Right. When you're right, you're right, and you're right. No, that's, what they, that's what they want to do. It's it's uh, the field gets shorter. It's harder to pass the ball, and teams can't run. So what do you do? That's I mean, to me, I, I mean, I really do think that the takeaways are they're dramatic in terms of what their impact is, no doubt. But I think it is wild how much better they are this year than last year. Yep. Like to 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 yeah, you you they were deeply disappointed that they weren't able to create turnovers last season, right? Granted. However, even through an off season of concentrating on it and and working on it, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to see that type of an improvement. And so now that they are what top 10, top 15 in turnover margin, they're, they're, they're tied for 19th in turnover margin. Um, like that's, that's really good. And the takeaways are, are a huge part of that. Um, so no, I mean, I, I just, if, if, if that is a, we talk about this all the time, I hate to repeat it, but college quarterbacks aren't very good. And <laughs> if yeah. you, can get them into that circumstance where they have to pass the ball to get into the end zone. Uh, there are opportunities to be had and there you go, Ryan. Has, has taken advantage of them. I wanted to make sure we answered his question about what sort of threat does the Michigan offense as a whole present to Penn state college quarterbacks typically aren't that good. They have a decent running yep. game. Penn state has been consistent at being able to shut down most running games this season. Uh, quietly. They had a poor day on along the defensive line with Izzard and Ellie's and even Tangelo was okay. Um, there were a lot of, there was a lot of room to run for Maryland. They just chose to not run very much because that's their offense. So that, that bears watching going forward. But in general, what Nate just said, most college quarterbacks aren't really good. 
Um, one thing that I want to talk about when it comes to the bend but don't break thing, Nate. They throw interceptions, like at the end of a Michigan State game, for instance, that yeah. aren't necessary when there's an opportunity to win the game. Just throwing that out there. Uh, but Michigan State in these situations, like in that situation, a couple years ago, and this gets into the, the really, to me, the crux of Maryland and Penn State the game, is that those two teams offensively had a similar identity. They wanted to move the ball the same way. Uh, Maryland wants to be a little more conservative. They want to throw the ball short a little bit more and get catch and run. Uh, but on the defensive side of the ball is the stark contrast between the two. And a couple years ago when Penn State, their defense was playing well, but there were these underneath throws and some late games where Michigan drives and then they almost win the game because Penn State can't stop the defense or the Indiana game, there was this big push amongst people to go to a different style of defense, play more man coverage, be more aggressive. Jaquan Brisker and Jair Brown are the example of why zone coverage gets you the same result. The same result is turnovers. So if you're in man coverage and you can make a play individually, you're great, right? You're a great football player there. It takes a lot of those to make man coverage work, and it takes a lot of really elite athletes to make that happen. This system you can replicate on a regular basis. And when you have great players who have instincts and athleticism, that's the difference between what, what Maryland did, trying to play press man coverage with no corners that could do it, and Penn State that plays a zone defense that is bend but don't break, but then when you've got great players that can make plays on the ball, that is the whole point of it. Just get enough plays where the other quarterback makes a mistake, to Nate's point. Um, how many guys can they lose on the defensive line before it all falls apart, Dave? <laughs> Jesse Lucetta <laughs> doesn't play. They're testing the theory, aren't they? <laughs> um, I don't know. I mean, you know, Michigan actually... And again, I haven't seen much of Michigan because we're in press boxes every Saturday, so we just don't watch college football. <laughs> but uh, um, you know, they've, they're they're averaging two hundred thirty four point one rushing yards per game, which is the best in the Big Ten. So that defensive inter interior defensive area is going to be tested and tested a lot. Um, so if Derek Tangelo isn't isn't you know one hundred percent. If they don't get good performances from some of the younger guys who they're asking to step in for PJ Mustafer, that could be potentially problematic. Um, so yeah, I thought I thought they were fine against Maryland. Again, you're you know I'll, I'll defer to you as far as um, what you saw there, but they you know they 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 allowed 1.1 yards per per rush, which again factors in the sacks, which we hate. But um, <laughs> you know I thought they were all right, um, and considering what they're dealing with. You know, yeah, I think I think maybe they deserve a little credit, um, but yeah, I'm, I think that's certainly something to watch out for this week because if they don't get guys healthy, if they don't get some guys stepping up for the guys who aren't healthy, uh, they're going to have a problem. Got uh, some score predictions in the chat. Um, we got twenty-one seventeen. Uh, I don't didn't give who they think is going to win. Ryan says thirty-five fourteen for Penn State. They haven't. They got to 31 with a defensive touchdown, Ryan. I, I, I love the optimism for you. I'm glad you're feeling good. Um, Kevin says 45-7. So I'm not going to make you guys on the spot give, give an analysis because it's different than it's in the chat. They can say those things. Somebody's going to, like, cold takes expose you guys if we give, a, if we give an early Monday uh, preview of what we think is going to happen, give a final I prediction. I don't know, T. Frank. I wrote, uh, I wrote this week that 
Jahan Dotson can't be Penn State's entire offense, and no one has called me out for it yet because he clearly <laughs> showed that he can. Uh, <laughs> uh, speaking of uh, guys that, uh, you know, I, I don't know if we have a whole lot to say about them because 48 rushing yards. What about the linebackers did you guys think? Is anything stood out to you about that position group, Nate? Yeah, I mean, I was just going to add on what Dave was saying uh, about the interior of the defensive line. It, it's, it is them against Michigan, but Ellis Brooks and Jaquan Brisker are the answer to that, right? Um, right? Is, you know, look, like teams just have a hard time going 75 yards, 80 yards at four yards a carry or five yards a carry. And so if you can eliminate with a Jaquan Brisker, with an Ellis Brooks, the right, what Ohio State did, the 68 yard carry, if you can, if you can take that out of the, the, the game, then you're going to give yourself an opportunity to win. And, uh, you know, uh, certainly I think that that's going to be Penn State's whole thing is it's not it's not completely stopping the run, right? Like that's that's a fool's errand to think that you're going to completely take away what Michigan does to best. However, if Michigan can't throw the ball effectively, uh, then you you give yourself an opportunity, right? I mean, just yep. just keep keep testing them, keep making them get into second and eight, third and seven, right? If you can do that a lot, and Michigan can't throw the ball effectively over and over and over again, uh, that that creates an opportunity for for Penn State's defense. That's exactly what they want to do. Uh, but well, you, you have to do that. You can't you can't consistently find yourself in second and two or third and two. Which was a situation to the point there. Maryland was able to consistently get yards on every single play, which is what led to so many long drives. If that happens against Michigan. We'll see what happens in the red zone if they just straight up decide to run the ball and, and they're they're tired at the end of a 12-play drive. So that'll be interesting to watch going forward. This is something – we have a couple more minutes here. I just want to wrap up with a couple other questions, some other topics before we get out of here. Um, this is something I know that, pan, that the fans wanted to know about and demanded answers to on the postgame show. I'm on at the same time James Franklin is talking to the both of you. What did he say? Did anyone ask about the end of the game or the end of the half transition where they bled the clock – slowly uh dave what did he was he asked did he say anything about that yeah i actually wasn't there either because i was listening to an extremely salty mike loxley instead oh that's but, right uh, that's right you, I, you always did, cover the away guy yeah i've got i've got the quote pulled up here um from and you can read about this on uh at bluelightillustrated.com on three um but uh the quote is obviously we weren't playing great and we were going to run the time off the clock franklin said that's a discussion I had with Brent Pry and Mike Yersich. Then, obviously, we got a couple of plays and moved the ball a little bit. Thought about taking a shot, so we called a timeout and had a discussion of what we wanted to do and then decided that it wasn't the right thing and then obviously kneeled it and went into halftime and made the adjustments, and the adjustments worked out well. Thoughts, Nate? On how it looked. So I understand, like... I understand that that's what, and that's that's actually basically what I explained in that situation post game. Yeah. Because and the other thing is, Michael Oxley had two timeouts, so if you come out and throw the ball twice, he can get the ball back and they can score again, and they got the ball after halftime. So I understand yep. the process, but how it yep. played out, this is another one of those things that people point to when they say James Franklin 
great recruiter, can't coach, or terrible clock management, or all of those things. I guess how it how it was viewed was very different than the actual outcome, which I think it is an opinion on the situation. What's your view of that situation? Yeah, I mean, I think that I, I think that they wanted the potential for disaster to be zero percent, right? Not one percent, two percent, three percent, zero. They were unwilling to put themselves at risk at all in that circumstance. There were. 29 minutes of football prior to that where Sean Clifford was missing open receivers and they weren't running the ball particularly effectively. Things were not going well for Penn State offensively. And so for him to have the mindset of, hey, let's get to the half, but but maybe run a little bit so that you can eliminate the possibility of Maryland using its timeouts and forcing you to punt, I, I I just, I didn't feel strongly one way or the other, right? Like by the time that they got to the 40 yard line, 45 yard line, whatever it was, uh, okay. Now you you start to think, well, maybe, maybe you take a shot, maybe you do something. Uh, and so for them to come back and kneel on the ball, I, I get it. I get fans frustration with that. Why didn't you just kneel as soon as you had secured that first, first down? Uh, however, what's the harm? Like what, what, what is right. the, I think, what, what is the downside of taking the time out and having that conversation and landing where you did, it would be more upsetting to fan. And this is, this is always the thing that goes through my brain <laughs> is nobody's considering the alternative. And the alternative is Sean Clifford, uh, like forget the interception return for a touchdown, right? How about Sean Clifford just takes a nasty hit? Right. Like you throw you throw one last pass and your quarterback takes a hit that he didn't have to take otherwise. Then you're mad as a fan. You're upset in that situation that now your quarterback got hurt over a play that wasn't likely to to produce dividends anyway. So I just I didn't have a problem with it. Dave. Yeah, I think I think people are interpreting the timeout as like a sing a signal of intention rather than like, let's talk about it, you know? Yeah. Um, which clearly it was, let's talk about it, not I'm taking this time out so that we can throw a Hail Mary. You know what I mean? Right. Um, so I, I, I think people are just kind of like not considering the fact that they used the time not to talk about it. They didn't take the time out because they had already decided. Yeah, uh, I, I made the joke that I think they were just trying to pad their run stats at the end of the half because it got 20 yards, got them got got more yards at halftime. Um, I, the, the, only, the only part of that that I would say, the only kind of critique I would have is that if you were thinking about taking a shot after the fourth run, call the timeout sooner. You can bleed the clock the clock either way, but more time on the clock gives you more realistic opportunities if you're actually thinking about it. You kind of backed yourself into a corner by giving yourself three seconds left. You're not in field goal range for a last second bleed down to nothing sort of play. Other than that, like, yeah, the end result is fine. The end result is a difference of opinion between people that wanted to go for points at that point, if you're a Penn State fan, and the Penn State coaching staff, which decided, as Nate said, we're, we don't have it this quarter. Let's let's regroup after halftime. So that really is where I came down on this as well. Any final thoughts of what you're thinking about going into tomorrow? James Franklin has his weekly press conference. Nate, we'll start with you. What are you thinking about this week? Is there anything people can see from you at On3? 
Oh, wow. Um, yeah, I'm going to talk about Jahan Dotson today still and uh, a couple of things that Penn State did on Saturday that it doesn't need to do anymore, specifically returning kickoffs and going for it on fourth down. I apologize. I, just, I was supposed to bring that up. <laughs> yeah, that really that really hurts my feelings. Sorry. No, I, I just look like I told uh, you to write it I down think, in the document. I told you to I write know, it down. I know. No, look, it's. It, it, if anybody expects anything other than a competitive game on Saturday with Michigan, I, I think they're kidding themselves. Like it's yep. not going to be a blowout in either direction. Michigan isn't going to come at, in the Beaver stadium and trounce these guys. And Penn state is certainly not going to do that to Michigan. So it, it's just look like buckle up. This is the ride that you're on this year and it's not going to stop until January. Dave. Yeah. Uh, totally agree. Um, I'm expecting like, 20 to 17 in either direction type of thing. <laughs> what are you what are you what are you working on this week and what are you thinking about that you want to know about Penn State football for the upcoming week with Michigan? I'm actually I'm kind of interested in the tight end situation now that I just looked at those snap counts. Um, I'm wondering where that stands. So if I get a James Franklin question this week, maybe that'll be it. Um, but yeah, uh, just thinking about what they're going to do in in the interior defensive line, you know, the status of some of those players, uh, Jesse Lucetta, um, Jonathan Sutherland, how they're doing. Um, the other thing is uh, I'm actually going to be thinking a lot about hoops this week. So uh, we've got signing day. We've got to talk about that a little bit. So my attention will be diverted. <laughs> so we got all kinds of coverage for you, Penn State Hoops, Penn State Football. We've got uh, the live show here on the BWI uh, YouTube channel, BWI Daily Edition. Got you covered literally anywhere that you consume Penn State football information. I'm your host, Thomas Frank Carr. We will be back again with the Daily Edition Monday through Friday here on YouTube. Make sure you subscribe and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This is the BWI Daily. We'll talk to you next time.